It's time for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on VolQuest. Welcome to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast here at VolQuest.com over on the On3 Network. If you haven't already, please subscribe and join us, inviting all Tennessee fans $1 for one year. You simply can't beat it. And as always, follow our work on VolQuest or on YouTube by searching VolQuest. Got a ton of questions here today, so we're going to go through it a little rapid fire. I'm Eric Kane with Rob Lewis, Fred Hubs, and Austin Price. First up is Greg McLean. 8. Is Burrell all we have at the other corner, or can they move Christian Charles or Kamal Haddon over there? Brent, I feel like the more Charles gets in some work, the better idea they'll have in him, but uh, Warren Burrell is going to play for the time being. Well, what's interesting is, I mean, they're – Josh Heupel and Tim Banks, both Austin, went out of their way to talk about Warren Burrell's play against the Ball State and, and were complimentary of his play. Now, I like the 16 snaps Kamal Haddon gave. Um, I, I think Kamal Haddon needs more opportunities on the field. We'll see if he gets those on Saturday. But the bottom line is Warren Burrell's got, got to make some plays because they're going to keep – they, being other teams, are going to keep throwing it at him. Yeah, they are. And, and I expect Pitt to come out of the gate at him, you know, Saturday. I mean, maybe they see something different because they understand the responsibilities of the defense call that we don't see. And so maybe that's why they're able to talk more positively about, you know, what Warren Burrell did on a play than, than the common fan or us, you know, notice, you know, when they're playing. Otherwise, it just seems like there's a lot of cushion and a lot of easy pitching catches that gain nine, ten yards over there. Go to Sam Smith, 22-33. Rob, does Pitt have the defensive backs to play press on Tennessee's big body wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to try. I mean, we're going to find out. I mean, I'll be stunned if that's not something that Tennessee gets a heavy dose of. I mean, we'll see if those guys can hold up. But philosophically, I think that's what they're going to want to do. Another one here from Sam Smith, Brent. Are we going to see Tennessee's tight end stay in to help running backs and left tackle? Uh, and pass pro, that's something we've talked about throughout the offseason, specifically for this game, uh, that tight ends can do a number of different things, as we spoke on on the Rocky Top Roundtable. But I do think that that will be a thing to where you see tight ends stay in a little bit this week. Well, it d- depends on how much help that they need. Um, you know, Pitt's going to bring more than, than you have to block for sometimes. Now, the quarterback's legs, you got to account for that. And, and Hendon Hooker's going to run more um, – probably than he did a year ago and certainly run more than Joe Milton did a year ago when he was the starter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, th- they may have to max protect some depending on what the play call is. Um, but that also depends on how Jabari small and Jalen right handle pass protection. Uh, and, and we know that, you know, the tight ends can handle some pass protection as well. I mean, the tight ends were pretty involved in this game last year. They had some catches. Um, you know, they got them involved in the passing game a bit. So, I think you'll have to do it some, you know, particularly in third and passing obvious situations, maybe from time to time. But I don't think they're going to sit there and go, hey, we're going to we're going to keep the tight end and play basically six offensive linemen the entire game. So I think they'll mix it up some. Let's go to Vol underscore fan 89. Austin thoughts on Florida rising all the way to number 12 in the AP poll and the potential for a top 10 Gator team to roll into Knoxville. In a couple of weeks, uh, of course, Tennessee comes in to number 24 in the AP this week as well. I mean, I, I, it's why I think that preseason polls are pointless because, you know, you ha- how do you go? They beat Utah just because Utah was preseason ranked seventh. You know, they go flying up the, the charts. Um, you know, are they are they 12th? 
you know, I don't know. Maybe they are. You know, I mean, you know, I think you parted up, you know, earlier in the week. I mean, Michigan was unranked to start last year and ended up in the college football playoff. So, you know, I, I don't get real worked up about all that. If, if Florida, I think it's great if Florida ends up as a top 10 team, you know, in, in a couple of weeks because if Tennessee beats them, then they've got a top 10 win. And, and there's a rub on that, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it is what it is. I mean, Tennessee's just got to keep their head down, keep working, and keep playing. I think Florida's going to be in the top 10 after this week because I think Florida's going to beat Kentucky. And, and I think that they'll be – I think they're going to be a darling. You got a new head coach down there in Billy Napier. They're going to have two big wins to start when a lot of people thought, Rob, they might go 1-1 one and one or even 0-2. Oh and, and so I, I think they're going to be kind of the early season catch me out to all the national voters out there. Yeah. I'll just – hot – this is an Austin Price-style hot take. I think it's absurd. I don't think I don't think they're very good. I don't know how good Utah is. I mean, Utah. If Utah's quarterback doesn't throw one in the dirt into double coverage, we're not even talking about this right yep. now. And then you know, Florida's playing a, a Kentucky team this week that is starting a. They start a high school kid, a running back. You know this. They, they Hubbard. I agree with you. They're going to be ranked in the top ten, and it's going to be, it's going to be a. As as Bruce Pearl was famously said about a player who I will not name, he's a paper gangster. They're gonna be they're gonna they're gonna be a paper gangster when they come in here ranked in the top ten. We'll go to Zeusify, and yeah, I mean Kentucky's gonna have some issues at running back this week for sure against Florida, so that's to Florida's advantage. Uh, who is UT's biggest downfield threat besides Tillman? Rob, let's stay with you. I, I don't know if we have seen Brubacoy enough to know if he could be a down the field target, which I'm sure he can be. I mean, Hyatt's got the speed to take the top off the defense, as does a couple of, you know, Jimmy Calloway and and, and others. But who would you say would be another downfield target outside well, I mean, of Tillman? If, you, if you're just talking about somebody who can run by somebody, it's Jalen Hyatt. I mean, we, we've seen yeah. that before. I mean, he was, even as a freshman, I mean, he did, you know, popped loose, you know, against a, a really good Alabama team. And did it. So if you're just talking about losing your dude and, you know, being clear and waving your hand in the air, it's Hyatt. I, I'll be anxious to see Brew McCoy on some 50-50 type balls. Because uh, he he looks like a guy that can win those battles. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, Tennessee's got some speed. You've got Squirrel White. You've got Jimmy Holiday. I mentioned Callaway there. He should, probably should have came third in that conversation. But uh, Tennessee does have some speed just simply running behind guys. Uh, but I'm with you. I want to see McCoy on some 50-50 balls. We just haven't seen him play a whole lot, obviously. Just one game, really just two quarters. Uh, we'll go to Athron. A couple of questions here. What is the answer to getting to the quarterback this week? I think we can all agree that Starts with Byron Young, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, he's got to play better with his hands, um, you know, and, and take advantage of the opportunities when Pitt sits back there and, and, and sits in the pocket. Uh, Ball State did not want to do that. They wanted to get it out of their hands faster. But I, I think Byron Young's got to find a got to find it a little bit better game-wise than, than what he did against Ball State. I'm not saying he was terrible, but um, he just wasn't as active as I thought he would be. I think it starts there. Tyler Barron on the other side. And, and then, to, to me, guys, it, it's about how exotic does Tim Banks get? Does he twist? Does he stunt? Does he stem? Is it just straight linebacker blitzes? Um, I think he was pretty vanilla with his toolbox in, in this Ball State game. So we'll, we'll see what he's got for, for Pitt's offense coming up on, on Saturday because I think you'll see a different style of defense in some ways. A couple of recruiting questions here still from Athron. Latest with Devin Hobbs, AP. Tennessee, Bama, Georgia. And, you know, I, I just think North Carolina's fading there. I'm not going to totally rule them out because they're the in-state school, but it certainly feels like he wants to play in the SEC. 
and he'll be here uh, in a couple of weeks for the Florida game. Um, he's going to visit Georgia. He's going to visit Alabama. And so Tennessee has really kind of reasserted themselves there. And I, I think t- it's Tennessee, Alabama, the top two in my, in my opinion. Anything new with Boo Carter 2024? No, I mean, Tennessee's very much in the thick of it, but I mean, a long way to go on that one. So yeah. I mean, for Tennessee, the biggest thing is you just want to continue to get Boo to campus as much as possible. Um, he did not come in at the end of July, but you'd love to get him here for an, an early season home game, maybe the Florida game. And if Tennessee holds on to the commitment of all three, how big is getting three true corners in the class and not just athletes you think that can play cornerback? I, I like this collection, AP, Ricky Gibson, Jordan Matthews, and, and of course, um, you know, Conyer, who Conyer could play wide receiver as well, but he is going to play cornerback. Uh, first time in a while, Tennessee's brought in this many true corners, and and I like the I like the makeup of of two, really all three of them. Yeah, a hundred percent. They all offer something different. Uh, they're all bigger guys, and 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 play with physicality. Um, you know, they're long. Uh, I think it's big, and you know they, they want to add another corner or two, which is why they you know they they you know dove back into the you know prep ranks and have offered a few kids they'd love to add a fourth corner in this class um Tennessee just needs to continue to add depth in the in the secondary Rob will go to S Pitt Vol uh from a roster standpoint is Tennessee still looking up at a team like Florida or is Tennessee in good shape from a roster perspective compared to any teams not named Alabama and UGA references still recovering from the Pruitt debacle but the the addition of the transfer portal name image likeness all those being factors into helping your roster in the short term yeah, I mean, I I go back to – I mean, I don't know everybody in the SEC, but going back in the preseason, I mean, everybody that Tennessee played, I mean, I, I took a pretty hard look at it, Eric. I, mean, I know you did too. And, I mean, I I personally feel like Tennessee is pretty close to Florida. I mean, I, I feel like Hypo needs to stack at least one more recruiting class, you know, like the one he's putting together now and, and have them, you know, kind of get seasoned. But, I mean, I – and I know we're – we just talked about it a couple of minutes ago, Florida beat Utah, all that. And they're, they're pretty thin. I mean, they, the skill, they do not have the skill that they have had pretty much all of our adult lives. I mean, they, they, they don't excite you. They don't excite me at running back. I don't think they have, you know, receivers. I mean, Richardson's a big time talent. And if he's got it going on, he'll cover up a lot of warts, but I don't think there's a big talent gap at all between Tennessee and Florida. And, and I could be proven wrong in a couple of weeks, but I just, I don't think the Gators are, are what they have been or even close, you know, for, no. mo- for most of the I, past 10 years. I don't think they especially are Rob on defense. Like, I think that's where the biggest glaring um, drop-off is, you know, is is on the defensive side of the ball. I, they're still good. They still have talent. So, let's not act yeah, like they're – Yeah, to- totally do. Brent Cox is, is a good player. They – they the last 10 years, Hubs, they – Rob, anybody, they, they, they could bring in their third-string guy – he was really good. I mean, they don't have that kind of depth anymore. No, I don't think they do. I mean, they had a lot of, you know, attrition. Some people leave the program. Here's the thing about that, whether it's matching up talent or not matching up talent. I mean, you look at them over the last few years, you look at this game over the last few years. Tennessee's been in a position where they've been either should have won the game, going back to the Butch Jones era, right? <laughs> Are, are being competitive. I mean, Tennessee was Tennessee was really competitive. I and mean, what, what does that game look like last year if Callaway doesn't drop that ball there? I mean, they, Tennessee had people running open, and they were still trying to find themselves and figure out what they were doing. So I, I don't 
I don't feel like Florida has just overwhelmed Tennessee for several years now. It's not like the it's not like the Urban Meyer days, right? Where where you looked up, you you were afraid to kick the ball off because they were going to return it for a touchdown. And as Austin said, their second and third string were better than what you had, and it was it was just a blowout situation. I haven't felt that way with Florida. I think Tennessee's been closer to Florida um, than, than a lot of people want to give them credit for. And and the reason they haven't got any credit for it is Tennessee's found every way under the sun to lose the game to Florida. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in, in a couple of weeks. But, you know, they got to get over the hump, you know, when, and, and find a way to win it when they're evenly matched with Florida or even a little bit better. It's all mental. It's like, you know, and, and I'll use myself as the analogy, there are some holes that just don't fit my eye, you know, for a tee shot. And no matter how good I'm swinging it, if I've hit it in this bunker up to the left side, left side of the fairway, 10 straight times I'm gonna make it 11 no matter how well I'm playing so like it sometimes it's just a mental hurdle and you've got to uh, get over that yeah, yeah ask, I agree ask I, I Kentucky just, right I mean Kentucky and Tennessee I mean that's, I just it's very similar hover, hover the snapshot of everything you're talking about to me the middle picture is just Paul Fortenberry in the fetal position in the passenger seat riding back to Orlando after the fourth <laughs> and 13 just I'll, I'll never forget it Let's go to Dewey Swims. How do you guys feel after one week um, of seeing Tennessee, their odds against Pitt, Florida, and LSU? AP, you can go here. About, I, I mean, I, I still like Tennessee over Pitt. I, I think Tennessee-Florida will be a good game. And I think Tennessee can go down and play with LSU. I, I think Tennessee can beat all those teams. Will they? Probably not. But uh, nothing about this last weekend really changed what I thought. LSU is going to be a tough place to play. Obviously, they got to clean up some things. That was a bad week one loss. But if you think Tennessee's going to go down to LSU and just lay over or turn over, that's that, that that's not going to happen. No, if anything, I feel like Tennessee can just go down there and outscore LSU. LSU's defense, talking about defenses that aren't the same as they used to be. I mean, again, have talent, but they don't have – I mean, like they grew on trees down there. You know, the D-linemen just at the union walk on D-linemen look better than some of the Tennessee starters there for a while. So, um, you know, for me, like – you just go in there and you just put up some points, and I think you're going. I mean, LSU's going to struggle even against if Tennessee's defense isn't great. I mean, Jaden Daniels is. I mean, he, he not he's great. Not playmaker in him, but if if you're asking him to you know lead a big comeback, I don't think that's he's your guy. Well, here's the thing too, and 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 this goes for everybody. I mean, who knows what each team's going to look like in three weeks, four weeks? I mean, you don't have any idea. You don't know what injury situations are going to happen. You don't know what locker room situations are going on. Obviously. The things at LSU seem a bit unsettled, to, to say the least, with, with the, the start of the Brian Kelly era. How much does thing, does, do things improve? You know, how much does your team get better? For Tennessee, I mean, is Brew McCoy what, – what is – we got a very small snapshot of him, Eric, last week. What do we think he ultimately is going to be able to be in this offense? You know, what, what's Tennessee going to be at corner? Can they get solidified and played better there? I mean, part of this is, is development. That's why you can't <laughs> – you can't look at week one and go, okay, here's going to be our record. Much the same way you shouldn't come out in July and go, okay, here's the top 25 teams in the country, you know, because you just you you just don't know. I mean, is North Carolina that bad? Are they going to be? Are they going to give up 60 points every week to everybody they play? Probably not, right? But but they did in week one. Uh, you just it's about how you develop, and we'll see how much Tennessee develops. We'll see how much Florida um d- develops and, and we'll it'll start for Tennessee this week against a Pittsburgh team that I don't think is a bad matchup for Tennessee yeah I, I couldn't agree more I mean you sometimes get two different teams in one season how you start how you finish I mean we, we go over examples all the time but 
there are so many different things throughout the course of a football season that can change your identity and can change uh, your mindset uh, in, in that locker room. So, I mean, just know, look what, at look at Tennessee a year ago. I mean, yeah. the, but Rob, the Pittsburgh game it's hard to make a first down at times. Yeah, Joe Milton overthrew some guys, but they were they were so off kilter and just weren't in sync. They lose that game to Florida, and you say, well, what could have, should have. And then the next thing you know, they're putting up 35 points in the first half against Missouri, and, and it's a total different – you know, it all just kind of clicked into place. So you just never know when it's going to in 2020. Yeah, you never know what's going to hit, uh, and, and you never know what direction it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just – it's you know, we all look forward to the, to the start of the season so much. And, you know, week one gets here, and it's just a – it's just a smorgasbord of football, but I, I do think, Hubbard, you're right. You got to check yourself and not just make, you know, huge, you know, draw huge conclusions about teams. Because right now I'd bet on LSU going four and eight. <laughs> and that's probably not going to, you know, that's probably not going to happen. All right, let's go to ball for live TP. Rob, let's stick with you. You got the matchup piece coming up today. Outside of the line of scrimmage, what are some key matchups or situational battles you're looking for on Saturday? Well, I mean, just Caleb Slovis, but he 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 made a bunch of chunk plays uh, against West Virginia. He only completed 16 passes, but he threw, threw for over 300 yards. Tennessee's secondary cannot let that happen. I mean, I think we all you know, we we talked about it. You know, they played – it looked like they played soft. They weren't very aggressive. Tennessee's got to keep the big plays off of them in, in that regard. And, um, I mean, that was – he averaged, you know, almost 20 yards of completion. So, that – Tennessee cannot approach that level of, you know, let, letting Slovis get, get anywhere like that because the way they struggled running the ball. And um, on the other side, I mean, we, we touched on it earlier. I mean, Hubbard, Hubbard talks about it all the time. Get, they've got to beat press coverage on the outside. I think they've got the horses to do that, but I mean they're going to have to get, they're, they're going to have to prove it. All right, old Mac, is it realistic to think UT can catch UGA Georgia uh, in the East anytime in the near future? Given Georgia's program momentum, the strength of the roster, their yearly recruiting pool, etc., it feels like the gap there is insurmountable. Austin, I won't say insurmountable, but I think it's it, it's just a climb. I mean, Georgia right now, the way they recruit hubs is, I mean, they recruit at a national level, and then to me, they have the greatest state in the country to pull kids in from. I mean, I, I, I think it's better than Florida, Texas, and California. I really do. I know there's not as many guys, but it sure feels like it, and, you know, they are very much loyal to that G, and if they want a local kid coming in late, they'll go get him in probably 98 out of a hundred times. So I think it's far greater than nine out of 10 times. It's, it's, you know, a very small percentage that they don't, they don't get a kid that they truly want uh, in state. So um, I, I think that, you know, it's not insurmountable, um, but at the current clip, it's almost like, you know, Nick reincarnated himself over in Athens, so to speak. And, you know, and I know Kirby's not necessarily Nick, but at the same time, a lot of what he's learned is from Nick, and he's doing it better than any of the former uh, disciples have done to this point. I tell you what, you talk to if you poll enough people, and, and you poll former coaches, um, current coaches, if you put them on the old truth detector test, most people will tell you they think that Georgia is the best job in the SEC. When Georgia's aligned, their administration's aligned, they're committed. You know, the way that they're committed right now, 
with all the resources they have, the recruiting base that they have, everything that they have going on there, there are a lot of people who truly believe that ultimately Georgia is the best job in the Southeastern Conference. And and right now, Georgia is in complete alignment, and and they've got it going on. Now, it's a challenge to sustain and stay there. uh, But clearly, Rob, when they hired Kirby Smart, that they, they said, you know, we're going to quote the next level. You know, they were winning nine, 10 games with Mark Rick. They wanted to go win a championship and everybody was all in to do it. And it changes. There are some programs in this league that should never be bad. George is one of those. Uh, Hubbard, I mean, I, I think we've always thought, I mean, even, even when they were I mean, struggling, maybe is not the right word, but when they were winning eight, nine, 10 games every year under Donna and Rick, I, I know you and I talked about it and probably a lot, a lot of other people did that this yeah, it, it should be one of the best jobs in the SEC. And, I mean, I don't, I don't think, like AP was talking about, I don't think it's insurmountable. But bottom line, you got to recruit like they do. I mean, that's, that's where it starts. And, I mean, Tennessee's recruiting at a level they haven't recruited at recently. They're still not recruiting like Georgia or Alabama. All right, let's move on to one UT ball. The second is Pittsburgh's uh, – is Pittsburgh's daunted defense going to struggle with Tennessee's offense? I, I think so. Is Tennessee's defense going to be able to keep up with the pit offense on paper and in Vegas? This seems like a great matchup for uh, Tennessee. Austin, I, I feel like I feel like Tennessee's offense can go and score. I do. I think it's gonna it's a mismatch for for Pitt's defense. Um, they're not going to drop eight. We know that Tennessee's going to have opportunities. Uh, Tennessee needs to protect the quarterback, um, but I think Tennessee can score. Now flip that. I mean, it's going to be a big challenge for Tennessee's defense. Obviously, they're going to try to run the football. Can you shut that down? Can you make Keaton Slovis beat you? Is Keaton Slovis good enough to beat you? You know, we'll see. But I think at the end of the day, Austin, you know, Tennessee can go score points, and that's how Tennessee can win some football games a lot of the times. Yeah, I mean, they're going to rely on their offense and see if their defense can get home enough, cause enough turnovers, and and, and make enough plays to to get the job done. I, I think Tennessee's going to score. I think they're going to score in the 40s in this game. So I think if, if Pittsburgh – because Pittsburgh to me is not as good as – they were a year ago, um, obviously without Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison, but I don't even think they're as good up front. You know, they, they their offensive line was not very good last week compared to you know having the fact that everybody was returning. Maybe they step it up this week in game two and huge improvement from game one to game two. But I think Tennessee's you know offense can really you know get some stuff done uh, against you know a Pittsburgh defense that you know is good. I wouldn't call it great. Yeah, and Brent, before you go, let me jump in here. Um, I mean, there's an injury concern at that right tackle position for Pittsburgh. At points in times against West Virginia, they were down to their third string guy. Um, you know, we'll see what it looks like going into this football game. Rodney Hammond Jr. didn't have a lot of success running the football, but he was their only guy that could do anything, and he had a couple of receptions. He's likely out for this football game. So those are some things. And, and again, that's why I said the, uh, earlier in the week on the Rocky Top Roundtable, you know, injuries can affect lines in a big way. I mean, Pitt's going through a little bit of it here early in the season. We'll have to see what it looks like on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. I think we go back to the question about Tennessee's offense. I just – you go back and you rewatch the Pitt game from a year ago. Tennessee had people open. Um, they they didn't, didn't connect on them. I mean, they, they missed several deep throws that could have made that a multiple-score lead for Tennessee in the first half. They just didn't get – just didn't connect on them. So, every time I go back and watch those – watch that game and see those things, it – makes me think that Tennessee is going to be able to beat press coverage. Tennessee is going to be able to get guys open vertically down the field. Um, I think there'll be great disappointment by Tennessee if that doesn't happen. Uh, I'd love it if Tennessee come out and run the same exact play that they ran last year that Joe Milton overthrew and just see if they connect this time. 
Hey, Rob, let's go to Podong Vol here. Uh, there was a question earlier in the pod about all the matchups not in the trenches. This is in the trenches. Can Tennessee's O-line keep Hendon Hooker off the ground? Can Tennessee's D-line uh, be able to get enough pressure to get some sacks? Encouraging in that regard, West Virginia was able to get home five times for a loss of 39 yards against Keaton Slovis and that experienced offensive line. Yeah, I mean – just based off West, and again, one small sample size. I'm drawing a lot of conclusions off off one week. I, I just I mean, maybe West Virginia is a lot better than than I think they are, but th- they got consistent pressure. But they got home five times. They when they were they affected the quarterback quite a bit. But I also think they they brought some stuff, which is one reason you know Slovis averaged almost 20, 20 yards of completion. I mean, I think I think they opened themselves up some on the back end. On the other side, you know I. Tennessee protecting Hooker, I mean, is a bigger mystery to me whether Tennessee can get pressure because I, I think they will. I mean, I, th- I think everybody's making too much out of no sacks against Ball State because um, I, th- I think Tennessee was so vanilla. I, I, I have real questions about Tennessee protecting Hooker. Not, I'm not saying they can't. I'm just, I'm, I'm really curious to see. I know Brent's talked a lot about how exotic um, Pitt will be up front about you know Narduzzi playing games and. And and being elaborate with their pressures, and and I'm really curious to see it. I mean, Tennessee's running backs were not tested at all in, in pass protection last week. We, you know, we we've got questions about the left tackle spot, and and even bringing four starters back. You're bringing four starters back from what was the the worst pass protection unit in the SEC last year. So I, I think that's a big question mark. Hey AP, what uh what happened with Tennessee and Raymond Polito? Remember, he came in on uh, a unofficial visit about midway through the summer. Tennessee jumped in there late, but didn't take him long, committed to Alabama shortly thereafter. Um, anything to that, or was it just Tennessee got in there too late? That's the big kid from California, right? The six yes. seven guy who's got some ties, had some ties to East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, AP, I'm not, I'm not trying to jump in here on you. I think Tennessee evaled there. I'm not sure if, if he fit exactly what they were looking for, and, and I think they were probably a little bit too late to the party in, in some ways as well. But Tennessee evaled. I think they liked Lucas Simmons and some of the other guys they were deep involved with more. And, and I don't think I don't think this kid wanted to wait and see what happened as the fall came along. Yeah, they had deeper ties in with several of those other guys that they were in on, and you know, they just decided to I won't say punt, but like they just put more effort into to the four that they had better relationships with. All right, let's go to Seth Daddy Twenty One. <laughs> Oh, Rob, I saw you tweet about this the other night. Could Brian Kelly's tenure at LSU start any worse? I mean, it probably could, but not without an arrest, maybe. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, too. Like, the whole media clap back in the press conference the other day, like, don't do that. That's that's so unprofessional. But, like, everything else with Brian Kelly. I just want to see a picture of the person that said it. I mean, I, I've seen it. Have you not seen it? It's, it, was, it was a lady. It was a lady. I know a that. Young, I didn't a, young, see the a young lady. And there, there was some pretty good spin control out of that um, late uh, Tuesday night that the two had a friendly chat and joked about it and no hard feelings and yada, yada, yada. That was got, that got put out, you know, they try to get that put out there pretty quickly. But um, I, I think the big, I think the bigger issue is having a field goal blocked, an extra point block and fumbling two punts and, and then having, don't- and then having three of your stars take, all their all their LSU stuff off their social media accounts. It's I mean, just, not getting I mean, the ball to your playmaker and stop throwing your players I mean, going, the bus. going back to the to the the TikTok stuff in January, just absolutely brutal. I mean, even Butch Jones looked at that and was like, "Man, Brian Kelly, that's a bad look." And you know, 
this weekend, I mean, I just no. I mean, it, it always felt like a horrible fit to me. I don't know. I, I know we've kind of all talked about it at different times, but I just, you know, maybe he turns it around and wins a bunch of football games, but that just seems like a horrible cult- cultural fit all the way around. But Butch Jones is to Rob what Isaiah Thomas is to Michael Jordan. Anytime he can get a jab in, no matter 30 years later, he's going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, have I shown you my organizational chart for, for VolQuest <laughs> this weekend? I've got AP. I've got you starting, right? I mean, you're not starting. You're not a starter, AP. You're you're at the top of the organiza- organizational chart. Yeah. Well, Ben, ben fell on a helmet. <laughs> Surfer Vol wants to know about uh, wants to know about being. It's difficult for Tennessee to get their allotments of tickets for this football game. Uh, I hope the stadium is three-fourths of the way orange. That's a uh, ticket situation, Brent. Uh, w- what's going on up there trying to get up to Akershire Stadium? Well, I think the biggest thing is a lot of the Tennessee the, – the, the tickets that Tennessee got to sell uh, through Tennessee were, were upper deck tickets, and that was what they were offering. And I, and I think um, that, was a, that was a bit of an issue that took place. I think some people have bought their own tickets through, you know, Ticketmaster, through Pitt that way to, to get a better seat. Um you know, I, I don't know what the contract, I mean, the contractual agreement was, you know, a certain number of tickets, but I don't know if it specifically said, you know, where they had to be at in the stadium or anything like that. But there was some disappointment. I think that there were more tickets in the upper deck than anywhere else for, for the for the visiting team, not many down in the lower bowl. Austin, this is from Rice Trout. Does the offer to Snowden, uh, who is a 2023 cornerback, uh, does that mean the staff expects to lose one of the quarterbacks? No. Or is this just death? No, uh, I said on the board, um, said earlier on the podcast, Tennessee wants to add another corner in this class. Uh, Tennessee's in, you know, I mean, obviously you have to recruit them to the finish line and there'll be other teams that come after the three they have, but no, they're, they're not expecting to lose any of those guys. At least they're hoping not to. Tap room 82. How many scholarship players are on the current team? Brent hubs. Like 80 ish. Yeah, I think, I think 79 to 81, 80, somewhere right around there. Uh, they're, they're not, they're not at full strength, but they're not as they're not as depleted as they were a year ago. So I would I'd say around eighty, something like that. Will Tennessee get up to eighty five for next season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, assuming the NCAA and all that stuff is completely abolished and done, and and there's no more, you know, thoughts on, you know, self reduction and that type of thing. If if that's behind them, then yeah, I think they can get back to 81, 85. Because remember. AP, there's no signing class restriction. You can sign 45 if you want to for the next two years each year if you can find the room on the 85 number. That's right. And, you know, I think a lot of it will depend on, Eric, how many they lose after the season. I think most schools are expecting to see a bunch of movement um, at the end of the year just because it's becoming the it thing. And, you know, even your better players, I think, you know, will be getting, you know, if they've not transferred before, um, will be getting – pitches from other schools through their other schools players uh, to come join them. Uh, you know, like we saw this off season with a few of those highly touted guys bouncing around. Rob Lewis is Ellerby a good offensive line coach. I mean, I think he's solid. I mean, I, we, we've got, you know, one year to look at so far in one game. I mean, I, I don't think he's bad. I mean, I think we've seen bad offensive line coaches here in, in the not so recent past, but you know, I, I think the jury's still out. As I mentioned before, I mean, Tennessee was the worst team in the SEC last year in protecting the quarterback, gave it more sacks than anybody, and that's with 
Hidden Hooker is not exactly a statue back there by, by any means. So, you know, I think the jury's still out. I mean, Tennessee, in my estimation, should be one of the better offensive fronts in the SEC this year when you're talking about bringing back four starters. But you know, by the same token, we talk about bad pass protection. They were also second in the league last year running the football, almost you know, right at 220 yards a game. Eric, I'll, I'll say this, and, and again, take it for what it's worth, but his reputation in the coaching world, Austin, is pretty good because Kirby Smart had some legitimate interest in bringing uh, Glenn Ellerby to his staff when when Matt Luke said, hey, I've had enough and I'm going into retirement. So I, I think I think Glenn's reputation throughout college football probably a little better than a lot of people want to give it credit for. Yeah, yep. and, and again, I just, second Tennessee's second in the SEC in rushing last year. I don't, I'm not sure why he – I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he catches a ton of flack, like John Chavis in the mid-90s flack, but I don't I don't get where this perception is out there that, you know, he's he's sketchy. Uh, let's go to Rare Fro 33. Does Amori Thomas have what it takes to dominate a game? For instance, the pit game. Because, <laughs> you know, it's the one coming up on Saturday. Uh, AP, what do you think? Does, is, is he there yet to where he can dominate a game, or is it just about? I, I think he can dominate a series flash of plays a series okay. but as far as game no i don't think i don't think he's there there's not many at that position that dominate i mean there there are guys who flash but i mean i don't know what he's talking about I mean, is he looking for aaron donald i mean <laughs> you know there's not many guys that just dominate at the defensive tackle position because they face double teams and there's so many ways to scheme around those guys. It's hard for a guy to be a quote dominant player. You can find an in, a rush in that can take over. I mean, we saw Derek Barnett take over multiple series, uh, but it's a lot harder to find a guy who is a quote dominant force at the de- at the defensive tackle spot. Tennessee's had a lot of good defensive tackles here through the years, but um, they haven't had a ton who I would call just straight up dominating defensive tackles. John Henderson, okay. I wouldn't call Albert Hainsworth's career at Tennessee a dominant defensive tackle. Um, that's just a hard position to be a dominant player at. All right, we got time for two more questions. Let's go with Vladimir Wanilowski, I think. I don't know. Appreciate your question. How does Heifel's Army compare to Napier's with respect to numbers? And do you anticipate the NCAA or whichever governing body eventually replaces it in the future to start limiting the number of analysts in a program in the future. Brent, that seems like a question for you. Yeah, they're not limiting those. I think, the, in fact, the proposal is to go the opposite direction and just let it be unlimited, as many as you want. Um, in terms of the Army size, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, Josh Heupel's got a lot of people around. I don't, I don't know that Josh Heupel feels like his ha- he's handcuffed with, with his coaching staff size. Um, I know Billy Napier had the staff photo, AP, where they – they brought everybody out and, and gave them a Florida shirt for their staff photo. But but I don't think it's a situation where Florida's, you know, some grossly bigger staff than Tennessee or anybody else in the SEC. Remember, in this league, it just means more, which means you just spend more money. Yeah, ultimately, it's just about how much money you want to spend. I mean, you know, you might be able to get some young, inexperienced guys that are bodies that can help you, you know, chart and take notes and stuff, and you get those on the cheap. But if you're wanting to get quality people and, and do the kind of the Nick Saban, you know, uh, you know, resurrect the career rehab stuff. <laughs> you got to have some money. Those, 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 high, those top end guys are not going to come for for peanuts. You're not getting Derek Dilly on your on your staff for for thirty five thousand dollars AP. It's not going to happen. No, nope, not going to happen. Last one goes to Checker Nealon. You guys can all jump in on this one. We'll start with Rob though. Where would you take a recruit on a big game day? 
like on campus, I guess. Uh, make it your own. You're talking about, I mean, AP, is it legal? Can, can we take him across the street to, to the Vol Navy? Can we, can we yeah. walk over there? Yeah, you we can, you can't to, we? Yeah. yeah, you should stay within a mile of campus. That's what I would, I would, I would definitely, I would definitely do that. Um, I, w- I would walk them, walk them through the fort for a little bit and, you know, make sure that maybe I had seated a couple of the houses over there to make, to, to let, to let them know that there was going to be a recruit coming through. So you could have some co-eds, you know, ready, ready to welcome them and, and tell them how much they, they, they'd enjoy having them in Knoxville. And, uh, but yeah, the, this from, from the on game day, from the fort, you know, from, from like, you know, Highland Avenue, if we can get that far up, up the street, all the way over to, to a little Vol Navy action. I just, just a slice of game day life. Well, there you have it. That, that, that's what you do. That's how you get somebody to come to Tennessee. Which is pretty would... much AP's game day routine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just... Well, well he's, I mean, he's got, the, he's got the tailgate on the big C-Ray. And then if he's got time, he goes to the little C-Ray for that secondary tailgate, but only if he has time. Then he's got those two or three in G10 he's got to get to. No. Right, AP? I'm going to G10. You, you he's, go to, not, he's not slumming at G10, Harvey. He's in C9. <laughs> he's he's got to go C9. to C9, Circle Park. How many do you hit? I mean, what do you hit? Seven or eight every every game day, AP? I just get down there and wait on Rob. He's always signing autographs coming down the wall. AP was what, was, what what was kickoff? Seven o'clock last Sunday or last Thursday? AP was on campus at 2.30 and wasn't sure he was going to have enough time to get everywhere. And he still and he has time network, to sit man. there. You have to network. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. wait on Rob for the two-minute drill. That's why they all go, they all go AP when he walks in. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right. BulkWest.com, $1 for one year. I mean, it's football season. Now's the time. If you're listening and you haven't joined us, welcome to all Tennessee fans. $1 for one year on three. That's at VolQuest.com. Continue to please follow our work on, on the, the YouTube page as well. But most of all, thank you so much for subscribing, interacting, and uh, being with us throughout this first week of our on three experience. It has been an absolute blast, and it's because of all you guys. going to be a fun week. Tennessee and Pittsburgh coming up on Saturday. Follow the front page and the GQ for All the matchup pieces, score predictions, and more. The VFL Players Lounge coming up on Saturday, and uh, we'll take you through game day. For Rob Lewis, Brent Hubbs, and Austin Price, I am Eric Kane. Thanks so much for listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on VolQuest.